Well, we are in the middle of our Wesley 21-day challenge. John Wesley was the founder of Methodism. He and his brother Charles in 1729 started a group that got to be called the Holy Club. Not their name, but names uh, named by other students who were trying to make fun of them. And they gathered together 22 questions that were used as a challenge to help them sharpen their spiritual focus. Chris Folmsby in the book that many of you are reading along with uh, merged a couple of these questions to make it a nice 21-day experience that could be done in three weeks. And uh, he grouped them into three categories. He, the first week was about an upward focus, that, about our vertical relationship with God. This week it's about an inward focus, taking a look at ourselves and our own spiritual lives. And next week it will be about an outward focus. Last week, Pastor Aaron uh, got us started, and he focused on the question, is Jesus real to me? Next week, we've got Dr. Andy Kinsey coming to speak. Uh, Andy is the pastor at Franklin Grace United Methodist Church. He's also taught at University of Indianapolis, as well as United Theological Seminaries. He's quite the expert on John Wesley. Today, our second week of questions, focus on that, that inward challenge, trying to have an accurate assessment of where we're at, to be honest with who we are, to realize that, that we have challenges, that we have a ways to go in our spiritual journey, but also not to be so low or so hard on ourselves that we take care of those disciplines of self-care to make sure that we are at our best, to have the resources we need to be God's servant in the world. This week's questions bring renewal, I think, through challenge, but also through encouragement. Now I was curious how these questions that John and Charles Wesley put together, as you can see it's quite a lengthy list, how were they employed with this holy club? Because obviously there's way too many questions to get through on an evening. Our group can't even get through seven on one night because they're all such depth, there's so much to them. So I was curious how they operated and how they were put to work. And the way they were used was that each person in that holy club was expected to use these for their own personal devotional time. So every day, matter of fact, John Wesley journaled how he was doing on each of these questions. That was a part of their devotional time every single day. Think about how different your life would be if you put that kind of direct focus on your spiritual lives every single day, asking these questions that touch every area of life so much to think about and consider. In that Oxford group, there's some names that you wouldn't recognize, but in that day, they moved on to become prominent people that changed and transformed England. People like John Gamble, who became a Moravian bishop. John Clayton was a distinguished Anglican churchman. James Hervey was a noted religious writer. Benjamin Inkman was a Yorkshire evangelist. And George Whitfield's a name you might recognize who was a part of the Great Awakening in both England and then came to the United States and continued his work. Looking back, John Wesley felt that, that that group at Oxford University was the genesis or the beginnings of the formation, the first rise of Methodism that would focus on the class societies. It was the organizational method to help fuel that movement that changed England and brought that movement to the United States. They were ridiculed by the students at Oxford University 
Because at a time when most college students are sowing their oats, they were focused on their spiritual lives. They called them the Holy Club. They called them Methodist in a bad way, and they called them Bible moths. But they were not deterred by that. They had such a spiritual focus. They were like athletes that pursued their athletic work. They were like a a salesperson who attacks his prospect list. They founded a a labor of love. Probably the best way I can describe the way that that group operated was kind of like a divorce recovery group I used to be in years ago. We met every week, 52 weeks out of the year. And they would have a a large group. There was about 60 or 70 people in that group, and they'd have announcements and, and what events were coming up. And then we broke up into small groups of eight people. And there was a leader who had been in the group long enough that they understood how to handle a small group experience. And they, we would each claim time. If we wanted to share something, we, we did. If we didn't want to, we didn't have to. But after a while, you soon discover that, that your sharing becomes important for everybody else, that you might say something that someone else needs to hear. And so you, you come with a certain amount of accountability that, that you have a responsibility to make this group work. And I think that's a lot how that holy club operated in 1729. They were kind of like an AA group for spirituality. Some of you have been in the Emmaus Walk and then became a part of a Emmaus reunion group. It's that kind of accountability. Uh, Tom Shriver McGreevy and Janelle Hadley, when they go to give kids the world, they always have that reflection time at the end of every day on their mission trips where they share the highs and the lows. Tom likes to call it the happies and the crappies. It's the same kind of thing, sharing and looking for God in your life every day. And that's what this Holy Club did with these questions. It was the genesis of their sharing whenever they gathered together. And that Holy Club did a number of things. They've got recorded concrete acts of service where they went and visited the debtor prisons, where they were teaching children, where they visited the elderly, they were caring for the poor. Just as our Romans passage says today, they were giving their bodies as holy sacrifices to God. It was pleasing to God. My hope is that this study will become one of your spiritual tools. Hopefully, out of this three-week experience, you'll gain some new spiritual habits that, that can live on. And I hope that when you're done, you won't just toss it but you'll stick it in some spot in your library to pull it out once in a while when you feel like you need a spiritual tune-up. We all need that once in a while. I think you'll discover these questions age very, very well. And we see it as a resource here at Noblesville First to walk Christians through the basics of the Christian life. We love it because it offers practical, faithful living, not just focus upon biblical knowledge or absorbing doctrinal information, but living out day by day the authentic love of God for others. Now, this week's questions, I think you'll find, have a balance to them. Those are the questions you'd be studying this week if you haven't started them already. And, And they help us to keep that balance so that We find ourselves sometimes, you know, having spiritual highs 
There's sometimes it's even possible in our Christian life to begin to think that God favors us. And it can be really easy to take that next step and start thinking that you are better than others. Paul cautions us not to think too highly of ourselves more than we ought. And so the first question is, are you proud? Are you proud? That's a question that leads to humility. Helps us understand our proper place in God's creation. To realize that God is God and we are not. I don't know about you, but for me that's a constant battle. I can get a big head very quickly and I discover that God's really good at humbling me. But, you know, you've heard me talk about pickleball before. Pickleball, in case you haven't seen it, it's kind of a cross between tennis and ping pong. The court's smaller, the net's a couple inches smaller. But I love it because it's a fast-paced game, and it's a very social game. If you get enough courts, you'll find that you'll have 20, 25 people playing. And so you get to know and get to play with a lot of different people. And I've discovered something that's true about pickleball that's probably true about most sports is there's quite a range of skill level. And so wherever you go can help determine whether you're a good player or a not-so-good player. So I've got a group out at Forest Park. They play every morning about 8 o'clock, and I usually get out there most Fridays in my day off and sometimes here and there at other times. And I've discovered that in that group, I'm a pretty good pickleball player. Matter of fact, when you go out to set up your game each time, people tend, we try to even the teams out, but I notice that when we're walking out, people say, oh, come on, Jerry, come be on my team. (laughs) Feels pretty good. And, and, you know, I'm a little younger than some of those people, and so I move a little better, and uh, I hit a little harder, and so there's shots I can get away with there that you might not otherwise. But I also have discovered I can go to other places, like I went out to Cynthia Park a few weeks ago, Played a few games, had some good games, and they got a couple of challenge courts. I thought, let's go see how I stack up with those those people. So I got in the first game and got paired with someone else who's, I think, actually worse than me even. And very quickly, the score was 11-0, just like that. So we put our paddles in to get into the next game, and it came along and got in, got stuck with the same guy again. Score this time was 11-1. So very quickly, I discovered that there is quite a range. And just like with pickleball, I think much of life is the same way, is that we can get too high in ourselves, but we can also get too low in ourselves. And I think you discover these questions help you find that balance. It's just as true in our spiritual lives. It's always not too hard to find people that we're better than. It's easy to talk about the sins of other people people. The Christian journey, though, is never about comparing yourselves to others. It's always about living into the dream that God has for your life, who he created you to be. God doesn't have some minimum standard of righteousness that you get there and then you can just sit back and relax. God always has something more for us. And so for the goal of every Christian, it should be to live into the person God has created us to be. And usually that bar is higher than ours. God has dreams for us that are far bigger than we can often imagine for ourselves. Most people who take their faith walk seriously will find themselves amazed at the things and the roles that God has them living out. 
you literally find yourself changing the world and changing other lives. So asking if you're proud is another way of just checking and make sure you've not watered down what God is expecting of you. But you'll notice that the next question takes us along the other way of this. It asks, am I defeated in any part of my life? It's a nurturing question. It's an encouraging question because God does not want us to get too high on ourselves, but God also does not want us to get so low that we begin to immobilize ourselves. It becomes another way that we limit God's power in our life. Chris Fonsby says that to admit that we are defeated is an act of courage. To ask for help is something we all need to do sometimes in our lives. It opens us up to the supernatural power of God to discover those strengths that only God can provide. I love the reflection questions he has for that day on that question. In what areas do I often feel defeated? Is there anything in my life that I could change, such as personal habits like eating healthier or exercising more that would help me overcome feeling defeated? What are the warning signs in my life that help me see my need for help and support? Whenever I counsel somebody who's experiencing stress or anxiety or depression, is I ask them, how are you taking care of yourself? Are you sleeping well? Are you eating well? Are you getting exercise? What is it in your life that helps you relax and reduce that stress? Start there. Sometimes we as Christians, we get so caught up in the sacrificial life. Yes, Jesus did sacrifice for us, and he calls us to find our cross. But if you don't have something to sacrifice, you can't live a sacrificial life. Don't allow yourself to get depleted and empty. Set the boundaries that you need to make sure you renew and restore yourself. And there's another question that follows very quickly in this study. On day 10, it says, do I go to bed on time and get up on time? Now, that's kind of a mundane question, isn't it? Does God really care when we go to bed? Chris Fonsby explains this question it's much more than that question. It's not just about when we set our bedtime. It's asking the question is, are we able to discipline our life enough? Are we able to order our life so that we can be at our very best for others? And I bet if we stop and take a look, our American lifestyle doesn't encourage us to do much of that. Most of us sit behind a desk for too many hours during the day. We eat too much fast food. We eat those empty calories just to keep us going. We don't take the time to prepare healthy meals. Few of us are at our ideal weight. The expectation is we have to always be producing something so we pack our schedules so fully that we don't leave enough time for just reflection, for renewal, for time to be creative. We live our lives with a constant state of stress. We multitask. We bring our work home with us. We fail to block out the time to make sure that we are human with the people that we're called to love. Just stop and think. How Christian are you on those days when you don't get enough sleep? Imagine you're a little cranky, aren't you? 
Think about how much every little stressor during that day just adds and just weighs you down. How we sleep is important to God. Everything during the day seems to become something else that adds to our schedule. So Phonesby interprets this question as another way of saying, are you rested and at your best so that you can meet the challenges of the day and ultimately help make the world a better place? I love that. And then we have this question, how do I spend my spare time? Chris Phonesby shares a study that was done with Americans between the ages of 20... 25 and 54, outlining the average workday. This is with people that are employed with children under the age of 18. Now, I imagine if you have children at the age of 18, you feel you have no spare time. You're always going someplace. But this study reveals that while we may not think we got a chunk of spare time, we get that spare time in little chunks during the day. If you add it together, it adds up on average 2.5 hours during the day. So the first task for us, if this is something that we don't feel we have, is to stop and identify. When do you have 15 minutes here or 30 minutes there? Where is there time to stop and do something that renews and restores you? And what you'll probably discover is that you might be wasting that time on things that are not so renewing. Looking at Facebook, isn't it funny how Facebook can get you and then it just, like an addiction, all of a sudden you've wasted a half an hour and you wonder where the time went. We have more power over our schedules than we admit. We have the power to build spare time into our day, moments to renew ourselves. Or if nothing else, do as Chris Phonesby has done in his life. He takes three to five minutes two to three times a day. He uses his phone to remind him to do so and just stops and prays. Just three to five minutes. It's amazing how that can help center you and help you realize that you're not alone in all that you're doing. John Wesley doesn't give specific instructions on what we should do with that spare time. He just reminds us that it's a resource and it's valuable and should be brought under the lordship of God in our lives. And then finally, the week ends with this question. And I think it's a loaded question. Are you self-conscious, self-pitying, and self-justifying? Yeah, (laughs) we all are, right? And it's kind of three questions in one. That's not really fair. But it's true for all of us. It's a basic problem because all as human beings are essentially self-centered. It's part of the human condition. Our Disciple Fast Track group was studying the story of Adam and Eve this week. And we saw it right there, just explained just as thoroughly. Because what happens? God sets them in the garden, gives them the tree of life, and gives them the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of this tree, but not of this tree. And what do they do? They eat. And then when they do, they're ashamed of themselves. And they go hide themselves in the garden because they realize now that they are naked. And so God goes looking for them, has to hunt to find them. And then he asks them, how in the heck did you know that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And what did Adam do? Eve! 
Eve gave me the apple, right? Self-conscious, self-justifying, self-pitying. And then what did Eve do? This serpent made me eat it. Their story is our story. The story is not shared to explain the origin of original, the origin of sin. It's explained to remind us that this is how we are. We're fundamentally self-centered. So we have to remind ourselves and ask and challenge that. And it's not easily resolved. It takes the grace of God, but we have to be reminded of that over and over again. The scriptures remind us that it's not so much about being born again as it's about being born above, from above, over and over again. Chris Phonesby gives us some practices to help us live into that. He invites us to volunteer or serve. Serving others helps get the focus off you. Engage in random acts of kindness. Practice empathy. Compete knowing that you will lose. I've done that a few times. Get out of your comfort zone. Let someone else lead for once. Begin to know someone that you find hard to like. Can you think of anybody like that in your life? Yeah. Disciples are made. They're not born. So that question is a good question to ask on a regular basis. So I hope these questions that you'll find will be very helpful to find that balance, to Make sure that you don't think too highly of yourself, and you should. But also be aware that when you're down, when you're low, God's grace is always there. Pour yourself into those places as you ask those questions each day of your life. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that wherever people are today, they'll hear these words as they need. To be humbled when we've gotten too self-centered, to be renewed when we've gotten low by what's happened to us in life. May we know that your grace is sufficient for every condition, for every situation, for every day of our lives. Help us to live into that in every way possible. Through Christ, who is our Lord. Amen.